Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. I'm exhausted, I'm not going to lie. It's these nights, isn't it? It's dark so early, makes you tired. Oh, and being pregnant and um, various other things as well. Um, Thank you so much for listening as ever. If you enjoy the show, you know what I'm going to say. Please do rate and review and subscribe. That really helps. If you've done so already, thank you so much. Uh, And just tell people if you think you know someone who it might help or someone who might be interested, who's brave enough to think and talk about death, please do spread the word because it makes such a huge difference. Um, Just a heads up, this is going to be our last sort of one-on-one interview and then we're going to do now that's what I call Griefcast like we did last year our best of uh, so do tweet me if you have a clip that you want to hear again or you want to share with other people because it really moved you or made you laugh and we will be doing the best of shows coming up soon this week I'm talking to what is for me a comedy legend Mr Mike McShane uh, you may know Mike from Robin Hood Prince of Thieves or Office Space or uh, he's been in he's been in Frasier he's been in Seinfeld um, but I have a huge crush on that man for being in the improvised comedy show Whose Lines Anyway which inspired me to become an improviser so I was so so grateful that he um, decided to come and talk to me Mike came to talk to me about all the griefs he's experienced along the way in his life but also more specifically about his mum Ruby. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with actor, improviser and theatre lover Mike Richey. <laughs> Who told me to say that? Because <laughs> it's true. <laughs> ah, yes, but does she love me back? No. <laughs> she loves you back. She certainly loves me back better yeah. than I deserve, man. Oh. And Mike, it's such a joy to have you here. I'm this very excited. A double happiness for me. Um, lots of people will know you from... The many, many things you've done over the years. Office Space, Robin Hood, probably like the really massive ones on it. But I know you. I know you anyway, but from Whose Lines Anyway? 
the semin- seminal improvisation show that ran in this country. I can't remember how long for. It's still going in America, it right? It still goes in America. Uh, but, you know, it's on like the WB or one of the side channels. We started in 88, I think. Wow. I did it till 95 here. I didn't do the American version. So 88, I was in the last show of the first series. I wow. remember that. It was over. Yeah, because the uh, first series, sorry, I'm such oh, no. a geek about who's lying, but the first series was very sort of serious and like Jonathan Price was doing it and yeah. John Sessions and it was it was sort of more parlor games than impro or improv. Right. And then by the second series, the Americans joined and it got a bit more like comedy. <laughs> I think I think what happened, I had a camera, so maybe it was Jimmy Mulville, it said that they started picking up on using us because physically Americans, this is them, this, this yeah, is now yeah. met in the middle totally and, and uh, were physically more free. Yeah, they were yeah. moving to they were moving to camera, so that's yeah. what they wanted. Because Robin and all that kind of stuff. Like yeah, Robin Williams. It was, it was that is American improv. You yeah, because there was a lot. The first series is great in its own way, but it's lots of sort of men standing still <laughs> <laughs> and being really being adroit and witty. Yeah, very witty, yeah. Oh, very yeah. witty, but slightly sort of nineteen fifties. BBC radio show, I guess, of like not yes. really moving. You're right, actually. Then when you and um, Greg and Ryan and Colin come, like it starts getting more physical. Oh my god, I just I loved that show so hard. I mean, that's why I do impro. Is that show? Did completely. you tape it at all? Or? Yeah, we yeah. used to tape it on Friday night. Sometimes we would stay up, but sometimes I don't think we were allowed. So we'd tape it on Friday night and then we'd watch it on Saturday. And we'd also watch, I don't know why we were taping it, but we'd watch Gladiators, you know, the fighting. Right, right. Yeah, like, so we'd watch Who's Lying and Gladiators. kind of excitement of sorts. It was like, me and my brother were like, this is great Saturday morning. <laughs> we get to watch Who's Lying and Gladiator. Very happy. And because you could tape things. So, and I still remember your, um, the one that really sticks in my head with you is the duet you did with Josie, the cat litter. Yeah, that still sticks in my head. I had a kick doing that. I like doing the American Tourister song. I remember that one. Oh, what was that one? Richard, well, anything Richard. Richard was the first thing. He really had a really different, something that came out, he had a really different song style. And I was like, oh, and I responded to it. And, you know, the fun, the fun thing is when somebody gives you something really yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. And you're on it and you hit it right. <laughs> yeah. And then you're together, you know. So this oh, is God. great. You can talk to Carrie about this in a weird shorthand. And <laughs> yeah, I know what you're Because she's about. like superior in so many ways <laughs> as an improviser. No, not you. Um, I've known these guys for a long time. Uh, for me, watching them grab this thing this and turn it into what I think a lot of us enjoy without getting too poncy about it, an art form. Yeah. Um, it's compa- just like opera or ballet. You know, you apply this to anything. But we, um, we were very led by, you know, your genera- generation, especially you, because I remember we were in Edinburgh and you came and did our show right. when me and Paul Foxcroft were like impro babies and we asked you to come and do a late night show at C Venues. And you came and we did, there was a Shakespeare scene and everyone else was doing like real gags for the crowd. Mm-hmm. And you did a Shakespeare scene. I remember sitting at the side thinking, oh, I see. You can, you can always treat it with respect. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, you don't have to play to this crowd of drunk people at three in the morning. Like, you can just still do your show. And you were so good. And I was like, oh, wow. Because also it was the first time I saw you like on stage as opposed to on my television. Well, I, it's such an honour to have you. And I, I mean, I could talk to you about improv for an hour, but that's another podcast. Well, let's do that some other time and have lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so who are we remembering today, Mike? We're remembering, we're remembering my first experience uh, w- with uh, somebody I'd met in a way and then seeing them dead. And then my mother. Right. Um, and by way of explanation, I'm adopted. Mm. So I'm adopted. My mother, Mary Catherine Lewis, who bore me uh, and gave me up at three weeks old, uh, was Irish and Métis, French-Canadian Chippewa. 
and my dad was <laughs> ship of the night and uh, <laughs> and uh, or sperm donor as I like to call him yeah. and uh, he did his job and left and I was born uh, David Lewis for three weeks and the McShanes my mother uh, Ruby Stafford McShane born in 1912 my father Kenneth John McShane born in 1910 adopted me and uh, took me from Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. I was one of five of six other children, all born to different fathers who lived in the Upper Peninsula. People who live up there are known as Youpers, and it can be rough place. I mean, rough in uh, the environment, physical environment's rough, and I wouldn't have had a lot of shots. So starting from there, I'm really grateful that the McShanes are my parents, were my parents. So um, Ruby McShane is who we're going to talk about. Ruby McShane is my a, mother. I love that name. That's a great name. Uh, yeah, and, I call Mary Catherine Lewis my blood mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and Ruby McShane is my mother. Yeah. So who was the first, your first experience? Father of? Condon. He was an Irish priest. I went to St. Agnes grade school. I went to Catholic grade school. And um, first grade, I went to kindergarten there too. And between kindergarten and first grade, I had a huge growth spurt. I got big. Um and How would, what's kindergarten first grade for Kindergarten is when you're five years old. It's like not preschool. Okay. So it kind of give you some room. Basically, you run around with toys and, you know. Yeah, reception, I think. That's what we, we call it. reception. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but then, six, then you're, you start right. your curriculum. Okay. You know. Yeah. And so I walked into first grade and everybody was much smaller than me. Wow. And since I was a little middle class bastard, I went, my God, I've. I flunked kindergarten. How, <laughs> how could that have happened? You know, and they were. I was really distraught. The nun, the nun went, no, no, no. This is just a big boy. And You're just bigger, yeah. And I sat down, and then we had our first one of the talks about first communion, and how to handle the host. And Father Condon, who looked like George Burns, an old comedian, white hair, sort of yeah. smiley, white face, sort of like the guy, the father, the old man and up. If you oh, yeah, the old yeah, man yeah, and yeah. up, yeah, with an Irish dialect. So forgive me, Irish. Uh, national <laughs> people who live in Ireland, if you hear this, it, so approximately. So he came in, and he's very old school. As uh, like, oh, I'm going to talk to you about communion. Now there was a boy, named, uh, boy named John, and um, he took the host in his mouth, and then went uh, back to his house, and he didn't swallow it. What he did is, he took it out of his mouth, and he cut it with a knife. Suddenly, great gouts of blood came out of the host. I mean, gushing out. He couldn't stop it. He tried to put it back together. There was so much blood coming out of it that, you know, he didn't know what to do. He's up to his ankles and bloody funny. Smiley, you know, he called a priest. And the priest came over, made the side of the cross, and all the blood, like the party of the Red Sea in reverse, went back into the host, sealed it up. He put it in his mouth and swallowed it, and he was fine. Never <laughs> cut the consecrated host. He told a room full of six-year-olds that that We happened. all looked, we were all like, <laughs> and literally finished and went, oh, bless you, chill, have a good day. And walked out, and we are like, what? Oh, my God. Dude, it was a trip. Cut to... Six months later, he dies. Oh, my God. You must be terrified of this we're immediately. Like, this. Yeah. We're going, did he cut the host? <laughs> we thought yeah. of that. I used to have this image later of the idea of, like, in Catholic hospitals, they have, like, a, a host in, in, like, a glass box in case somebody has a blood transfusion. They just kick it and, like, cut it open. There we go. No. Oh Put the host God. over their veins. You know? Um, just So he's in the coffin, all waxy and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they're walking by, like, we're at, like, an exhibit at the British Museum, you know, looking at Tutankhamun or something. And we're looking at him. And then they go, you can kiss him if you want. Wow. I like shot a look, but then I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> like, why? Well, yeah, yeah. Why yeah. do and I want to? And of course, a couple of really, you know, this is Catholicism. Every, yeah. every third or fourth kiss, like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> so you didn't kiss him. No. Good for you. Good no. for you. I think that's a sign of a good child. If at six, you're like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, just, 
Because some kids, like you say, are like, okay, I forgot, I've been told and brought up that I have to do everything. But well, I de- definitely wanted to be loved by the church, but yeah. I, ain't, I ain't kissing no dead priests. <laughs> you know? So that was father, that was my first experience. And there was a kid who had um, water on the brain, but he was gone like the second week. Wow. And he said he, he was gone. So, so that was kind of, and my dad grew up in 1910 he, in the, during the diphtheria epidemic. Wow. And he would go to school and like every other day be another kid out of his class. And he, at one point he just goes, when when when's when's my number up? Here? Wow! Yeah, uh, he was oh up in Minnesota. God. So, so did they talk about the? Did they explain to you about the priest? Did they or they just said he's gone to heaven? That's the end of it. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. It was no. a mass. You know, you kind of figure once you're you know brought into the Catholic Church and all the ritual stuff. You know, all these things are about uh, somebody lived a good life and are ascending to heaven, uh, and their woes are over. Yeah. Especially the very Irish side of it. There's a lot of like you yeah. know. The pain of life is gone. Yeah, um, yeah. So you kind of get you get some of that. I and I dug the. I mean, look, I'm an actor. I dug the smells. Of yeah, dust. yeah, yeah. The drag looked good. You know, it sounded, <laughs> it sounded good. I memorized the mass in Latin. I got in trouble once. This kid named Kurt Kippy was sitting next to me. I was like, "Don't even this coming come through to it." Hugged Don't even. You know, I'm doing it. And he's like, "Hey, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? What, sister, sister? <laughs> these kids talking the devil's language." And like, sister Maculata comes over. She goes, "What's he doing?" Oh, he's being a good boy. And she like whacked Kurt Kippy in the face, like, you know, off the top of the head. Boom, gave him one of those. Like, you should be able to do that, kind of. And of course, like the next day in school, it's like, fat boy come out here. Oh, no, Kurt, you know, ah, we're like chasing these. Anyway. Kurt, what was his name? Kurt Kippy. Oh, my God, Mike. With two P's and an E. Kurt Kippy. It. Kurt Kippy is the, Kurt uh, Kippy. such a good name. I also love that. He's you, one of those guys like Marcus Brigstock has a slightly, uh, but yeah, handsome Marcus, yeah, yeah. but that slightly cylindrical head yeah, yeah. thing going, you know, and he had like this weird haircut. So he just, I've got going, you look like a jar of peanut butter, you know? <laughs> Kurt Kippy. Kippy sounds like a peanut I know. butter Skippy, well. I think of Kippy yeah, and Skippy, yeah. to think. Wow, I love it that you live in that. Well, you lived in that age where it was just like, yeah. Then a nun whacked him in the face, and that was just like normal school. Like, carry on a word. My Catholic, the Midwestern Catholic nuns were hardcore. Yeah, there was one named Sister Lucille, my best friend, who'd been my best friend since I've been five, and is still my best friend, Tommy yeah. Mike. His dad was a huge Catholic, a uh, big Polish Catholic. You yeah. know, twelve kids. Wow. I mean, 12 kids. I was 13. I literally was a kid who would hang out with him. His dad, Mr. Micah, would go to Major Gory and carry a cross, like, you know, this uh, the cross. My the dad, cross, who was Catholic, was like, okay, you know, I'm a Catholic, but whoa, I'm not going that way. <laughs> Phew, woo. You know, he really goes like, not that much. So when he died, it was a big deal. And so, you know, I was a pallbearer because um, he was my godfather. Yeah. Mr. Micah was my, my dad was Tommy's godfather. Anyway, so we're there, you know, it's sort of the reception line for a dead dead person which is always really weird hello hello yes he's dead yeah. hi you know yeah. people are important in his life and this nun comes up and like looks at me looks at me and shakes my hand i had a dead zone moment i went i know you i was like sister lucille but hang and when i was like six or seven i was out just wandering out in the hallway came up hang out of the bathroom so out in the hallway and she's come down the a she had crutches because she had polio or something couldn't use her legs well so coming down with these crutches and this other kid came out of the bathroom who we would call then Greaser, which this guy looks like from um, um, Grease, the movie Grease, right, yeah, yeah, with yeah. a pompadour ducktail, yeah, you know, yeah, that kind of stuff. He was coming out of the bathroom, and he walked by her, kind of like, and gets the locker show, boom, and like stopped him with a crush and got up and says, "Going, you've been smoking, you've been smoking cigarettes." And in one, I can't like a kung fu move, spun him around, pinned him against the lockers with the crutch, with the crutch, and with the other crutch, just wailed on the back of his fucking oh legs. My and God. so I'm watching this guy who looks like a tough guy. In my mind, a tough guy going, "Yeah!" You know, he's screaming and crying, oh, and he yeah. goes hobbling off. And then she comes down the hall past me and goes, 
God bless you, son. <laughs> You're just like, again, ha. So these, it's a very strange world. Wow, that is intense. That's really intense. Which culminated me going to a seminary when I was, oh I wanted to be a priest. God. I was making good on my dad. Made my dad very proud of the people. They got kicked out. Okay. That's fine. So, so my mama. So your mom, Ruby. My mom, Ruby Stafford. McShane was born in 1912, October 7th, 1912. Um, She's from Belleville, Kansas, but really Scandia, a small town in northern Kansas on the Nebraska border. One of, I have to look them up because it was kind of um, uh, Marjorie, Rosalind, Gwendolyn, and Betty who died early earlier in life, and Dale, the only boy, the youngest. My mother was a petite, small, dark-eyed woman. She grew up literally in a sod hut. She was born in a sod hut. What sod hut? What a sod hut is um, made out of earth, stacked like peat, like a peat building. Um, wow. She, they'd bought land and were building the house, and there was some of the dust bowl activity. Not the main one, but slowed them down, yeah, so yeah. they built a berm like a sod hut and lived in it for six years. And then built a house. Wow. My pictures of her, I have a picture of her when she's about 15, and she's taken uh, her dad's hat and cut the brim off it to look like a flapper hat <laughs> and cut her hair like Louise Brooks. Yeah, yeah. And she's from the side, and she looks very sad. Uh, so you'll have to excuse me if I get emotional sometimes. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, she, uh, my first memory as a child was walking alongside of her, and she had these capri pants on and a striped top, black and white striped top of the time. Very Mary Tyler Moore looking, that hair, and very red lips. And we had uh, black walnuts, which would go up and down the street, you could, uh, which is a very tough-shelled walnut, but extremely flavorful. Um, in fact, almost too much. Really not really good for eating, but baking. And she would take a baseball bat and hit the trees. And I'd collect the nuts and drag them around. And I remember I'm holding her hand looking up at her. She was a great mommy. She was a sparkling beauty. Now, from here on to a degree, anything positive in my mother's life will be a memory uh, related to me by my dad to a degree. Um, she chain smoked. So about, you know, 10, 11, 12, she was just, a, you know, uh, she raised me uh, with a lot of trepidation being adopted. She had a social worker that had to come all the time. And so when they were coming, I was literally like on, it was like I was on call for a West End show. <laughs> it's scrubbed up, cleaned up, nice yeah. clothes. And they did, took care of me. They treated me. I'm spoiled. You know, I was. And were um, you the only child? I was the only child. So and I was adopted and the only child. And so when did they, did they tell you right from the start that you were adopted? Um, a little later... They told me I was adopted when I was about four or five. I was an orphan. My mom said I was an orphan, then I was adopted. And so I saw an orphan. And right, this is, and this is the truth, a week or two after that, a Saturday morning movie was David Lean's Oliver Twist. Oh, wow. And I yeah. watched that. And I went, I'm an orphan. I'm, I'm like them. Yeah, yeah. And so I went and rubbed dirt all over my face, <laughs> rolled my pant legs up, and went up to the Thriftway store in the shopping center and stood in front of the door and begged for money. Trying to cop a really phony ass cocky. I tell the call, they go, Mrs. McShane, your boy's out here talking weird, trying to get money. And she drove up. She's like, Land sakes, Mike, what are you doing? And I look at her, she goes, Oh, okay, all right, all right. Oh, she got it. Yeah, yeah. She got back in the car. My mom stuck in the I'll tell you, my mom stuck up for me. And she was like, You are an orphan, but you're not. You're, orphan, but that, you're not a Victorian like, Cockney orphan. <laughs> like, <laughs> How much you make? I was like, well, made a buck. She goes, well, I put it in the piggy bank. <laughs> To make me give it back. 
Yeah, um, so your child was very happy then, like essentially. Yeah, I, I got teased a bit. Yeah. I made I made my to a large degree. I realized I made my child a little tougher than it was. Also, I was extremely gullible and imaginative, so people could take advantage of yeah, that when yeah. I was young. Um, I had country cousins, my uncle Dale's kids, who would like, I'd go up there, it's just like, you know, I was like, one of those things, you know, you saw me, you saw them look at me, then you saw them, what they saw, and it was yeah. just like a toy and baseball bats around yeah, the yeah, head, yeah. <laughs> you know. And um, the one guy held me down, Roger held me down once, and they had these cat, uh, these plants, uh, like cattails, so there's fluffy seeds. Oh, yeah, Fluffy yeah. wing, you know seedlings in them and, and I'm one of those and he goes those are ghost plants I went ghost plants I was, yeah. you know if you get them on your skin they burrow and then ghosts come out of your back at night and after I said that they held me down stripped my shirt off and rubbed the plant all over my back so I'm screaming and I go back to my grandma Florence and she's like what they do and she's like oh god that was no ghost plants go upstairs go to bed and then I later heard her giving them holy hell about it she loved me because I think she wanted my mom to have a child. Yeah. Um, my mom was slightly melancholy woman mm. all of her life. The picture of her with the Louise Brooks haircut, she's, her eyes are really sad. And, you know, she wants to, she had to take care of her grandparents who were just flinty, awful Methodists on the Nebraska border. And uh, the only escape in life was she could, she could slide down the drain pipe with skates around her neck and go roller skating in Chester, Nebraska at the wow. Chester Rollatorium. <laughs> and uh, she told me about with much glee. So she had quite a tough upbringing then. Controlled, not, you right. know, it was rough, you know, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. I guess it's just tough for the time. The time tough was for tough. the time, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's, they weren't, yeah, you didn't have all mod cons and it wasn't easy. She took the path that most women did. Yeah. You were either teachers or a nurse. Yeah. So most of the women in the family became nurses except my Aunt Gwendolyn who became a teacher. So my Aunt Marjorie, my Aunt Rosalind, my mom. Uh, Betty died uh, much later in life. She, my Aunt Rosalind married a doctor, uh, Doc Splickall, and... My Aunt Betty, who I never met, uh, came down with appendicitis. And my they were poor. My mom's family was poor, and they couldn't afford a doctor. And they said, we got one of the family. Dr. Splickle was a pill doctor, as they say, not a cutting doctor, as we say in the Midwest. And he kind of was forced into doing it, and Whoa. he botched the operation, and she died. Oh, my God. I didn't know about this until I was much, much older. Wow. Because they had a picture of the family. I'd ask about Betty. And my mom go, oh no, she's she's gone somewhere. We we see her every once in a while. And wow. Like that. Oh my god. So when did your mom die? When did she pass? She died in eighty five. Eighty five. Okay. So were you still living in America then? Uh, I was, and whose line was uh, on top of that? And I was enjoying. I was living. Uh, I just moved to California, and she passed. I was it was in the hospital. Um, so when I was fourteen years old, my mother and my dad and I. We're in a car accident. My Bye. mother was driving. Okay. We were having a family argument in my car. My mother was distracted. And we were T-boned by a car, which means we were driving. So yeah. the car came at the panel on her side. Wow. Which threw my dad into me and threw her. And this was an older car, no seatbelts. My mother's neck snapped slightly. And uh, they had to operate on her neck. And they botched the operation. So my mother had a frozen neck and radial arm damage on her left arm, and she spent then the rest of her life in a neck brace and an arm brace, eating Darvon, which is an analgesic with codeine in it. Wow. The Darvon was this pill, like a regular, you know, 
capsule, and inside was a tiny red the, the coating, liquid coating. When I was a teenager, I used to take them out and eat them. <laughs> so you see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, um, so that obviously hugely affected. Uh, yeah, it did. It yeah. started me. It started me being a very reactionary, angry person, which I'm not proud of. I mean, yeah. But so how old were you? You were 14. Memory, 14. Well, I mean, your dad. You know, it's like we say in the show. My dad was 15. So I yeah. was 15 when my dad died, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. When shit happens at that age, like <laughs> you get really angry because you're already angry. Yeah. You know, as a teenager, you're already like, oh, the world's rubbish. No one understands me. And then when something real happens, you're like. Oh, I've got a reason to be this angry. Yeah. Because I think most teenagers are like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm angry, but there's no real reason. And I'm just frustrated and I don't know who I am. But when you're given a reason as a teenager, I think it becomes quite potent because you're like, oh, there's the evidence of why I'm so fucking angry. Like right there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You yeah. get like like fate or God, whatever you, yeah. you, whatever your processing and goes, yeah. here you go. Here's a big plate of shit. Yeah. Yeah. You want to, yeah, it gives you, that does give you a focus. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I reacted pretty badly to it. But first, I, first step was I. there was a guy who had some weird competition with me named David Schwartz. He didn't like me because his dad was in the Marines. But he always picked on me and stuff because my best friend Tommy, he wanted to be his best friend. That wasn't happening. And I came back. I was like out of school for like two weeks maybe, like, you know, healing up a little. And I came back, and he was, like, kind of getting in my kitchen about stuff. And he goes, so where you been, Trunko? That was my nickname because I was fat. Because I was an elephant. So they call me Trunko, which is a great, you know, ma. The Kids. talent in this wow, school. Yeah, Saint yeah. The talent is St. Agnes. <laughs> it's like the Algonquin round table with, with Eucharist hosts. Um, he said, yeah. I said, my mom's, leave me alone. My mom's in the hospital. We had a car accident. And he just had the temerity to go, I hope your mother dies. Whoa. And I just went, wing, you know. And. Tommy said, you know, I just grabbed him and threw him to the ground, started punching him in the head, picked him up by the neck, running him into the desks as I walked towards the third story window of our classroom, <laughs> opened it up and started to take him out the window. Oh and God. the nuns and everybody like, boom! And I just, Bleh! you know, I yeah. dissolved. Yeah, because you were probably really, really sad and shocked and you had nowhere <laughs> to put that emotion because of the time. And actually what you wanted to do is go, oh, this is horrible. What's just happened? I'm really sad. Well, I'm a guy. That's yeah. how guys react, right? I mean, Karen says, you know, kind of the rule she believes, and that's absolutely true, is like men only deal, basically process all things by getting angry, mm. and women can have every emotional world but anger. Yeah, I think it depends because I definitely got angry. Like, that was because I didn't want to cry. So I was so obsessed with not crying because I, I just, I suppose I thought if I start crying, I don't I don't know if I'm going to stop. So when teachers were like, so is everything all right? I'd be like, yeah, everything's fucking all right. What the fuck's wrong with you? Like, I was just like, wow. boom. Because I was like, if I do that, they'd go, okay, leave her alone. And yeah. I was like, oh, phew, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> you're not going to have to deal with these people asking you how you are. Yeah, because you, you, you know you're not okay, really. Yeah, yeah. But you don't want to, you don't really want to. Did you I, hang with friends and let it out? No, no. Oh, I just, well, I guess I did. I just, and it became, it became the thing of like, she's angry. Oh, she's just really, you know, she's really aggressive and angry and just leave her to it. And I'd get into trouble at school and, you know, but they would, it started that vicious circle. It became like, she's a problem. And then everyone, I think, slightly forgot, oh, her dad's died. Because it was like, you've got to calm down. You can't be out like this in school. You could, you know, get out of the classroom. And then it all became about my attitude. And no one was right. talking about my dad. The source point Yeah, of it. which was great. I didn't want to talk about my dad. I was like, no. thank God. So they were like, get out of the classroom. And I was well, like, did, yep, great. Did it help? I mean, the slave, forgive me for being generous, that slave British thing of like, you know, get on with it a bit. 
Where they, but that wasn't it. It was like, you were just, leave me alone. I don't want to process it in front of you. Yeah, I was just, I think I was just so afraid because I just didn't understand what happened. I didn't understand. And so, yeah, my dad was diagnosed in February, dead by the April. So it was very quick. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah, so it's very quick. So I think I was like, like you said, in shock, scared, There afraid. wasn't a long thing, anything. So in, no, you know, no, there was no time thing, to yeah. be like, oh, okay, this is happening. So my anger was such a great, it, it was very it was very successful in that it did what it I wanted it to do which was it just meant I never spoke about what was actually going on because I just I was so I, I didn't know how to I saw what I wanted to say was like what the fuck sorry can someone just tell me what, what just happened I feel awful I'm really really sad but I was so afraid of that because I thought mm, I don't know if it was wrong or I don't know what I thought I don't know I just was afraid you're afraid what's going to happen if you yeah, let it all in exactly if I just start crying yeah. I won't stop you won't or, stop and so I was just like be angry and I just learned really quickly if you're angry they just leave you alone they don't want to talk to you anymore because you're this obviously you're this teenager who's shouting at them or being like oh, I don't want to fucking talk about it and you know they just go oh, okay fine like you know well, I'm, I totally I'm so wow I met you on the upswing yeah you pal, did you definitely did you must yeah. have been wow yeah um, I know people always think oh they're like oh you were angry I'm like most people who knew me then are like are you kidding <laughs> like, yeah no no yeah so you were very angry i guess and trying to I was deal with very it. angry and that anger also i was large and ungainly i mind that i was angry uh the time in the 70s there was the counterculture which i wanted to embrace i wanted to be a hippie i wanted this thing and in kansas in the 60s and 70s that wasn't gonna happen and it made me even more angry and i got into drugs and i got into a bit of thieving robbing like houses and cars and shit so i became very antisocial. i got in with a crowd not so great but i was also just reveling in being a not being the the soft, fat, gullible kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of uncorked me. And in that time, I would get into arguments with my parents. And then I got violent. I held my dad up against a wall with a knife. I inadvertently stabbed my mother with a pair of scissors. I threw a pair of scissors and it stuck in her leg. Mm. Oh, um, and wow. during this time before this incident, we were going to counselors and psychiatrists. To be fair, my parents were of a different time. I was a product of, of a different time. My responsibility that I, I look at now and know where I was responsible. It was a big mess. They ran out of money and they panicked. And so they put me in a mental hospital, made me a ward of the state of Kansas. And I was just around 13 or 14. And seven months I spent there. Um, is this before the accident or after the accident? This is after the accident. So they put you in the mental hospital after the yeah. accident. They must have just all been, you we were, were all, all reeling out. from this accident, we're right? all worn out. From the, this was after, but yeah. a couple of years after, yeah. really, a year and a half or so. I didn't, when I look back, it, it went bad faster than I imagined it. Yeah. So when I went in there, there was about a year and a half of going to different doctors, and they didn't have a lot of money. The bills, the lawyers were yeah, moms. Yeah. I look back on it with a lot of shame, realizing if I had just not been such a selfish person, I could have seen what they were going through. But when you're young, been an you don't know. Yeah, you don't it's, know. You don't know. And they probably don't tell you. Like, there's not that, you know, I think as a kid, you're often like, oh, why didn't I do that? And you're like, but parents are equally trying to protect you. And you, so then you are protected from and that they're information. they're trying to fix me. Yeah, yeah. In their mind, they're trying to, you know. He's, something's wrong and we can find it and then switch it off and it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which consisted of, yeah, the, you know, because my mom took drugs. She was a nurse. She, the pharmacopoeia of the world was very much in her concept. And so she thought she, this place could pill it out of me and, yeah. and session counsel it out of me. And what she didn't know, it was a battery of different drugs, mm. uh, threats of shock treatment, um, wow. attempted rape on me. Um, oh, God. 
it was kind of weird. You know, so yeah. that seven months was very hellish. And the drug treatment in the beginning, uh, in order, I did one week in another hospital to, to test what I needed. And that was in Kansas City. This other place was in Osawatomi, which is in the country. And Osawatomie to the Midwesterners is like saying to a London person, Bedlam. Right, okay. Yeah, it's a yeah. shorthand. You got free tobacco. That was the good thing about Osawatomie. The state of Kansas decided the adolescent unit could have as much tobacco as it wanted. It just gave you cigarettes. Yeah. Well, not cigarettes. You'd get this loose tobacco oh and you could roll your own. Or there's a guy there who was total Ozark kid. I mean, maybe he was 14 with a full beard. And... and <laughs> As God's truth carried the, the, the overalls with yeah, the strap yeah, off, and yeah. he was like not very bright. And yeah. he had a cigarette rolling machine. He had this big, it's a big canvas belt wow. with a loop, and you put the. Yeah, yeah, they know, sell them in Camden Market. Yeah, 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 yeah. So imagine a big version of that. Wow. And he would just knock them out for a penny a throw. And so you give him five cents, you give five cigarettes. And, and he had a corncob pipe. And he would stuff it, and you can't have matches there. So you go to the AIDS booth and knock on the door, and they had a spun asbestos plate in the wall behind a, a, a you know, a curled coil oh heating God. on it. And so you light your cigarette there. And when he'd light his pipe, you just see this guy with a huge pipe of smoke coming out. I just remember watching him going. And you're all drugged up on Thorazine or Valium or whatever they give yeah, you at that yeah. time. Heavy Thorazine, if you act it up, like I put in solitary, they just stick it in your ass, and you're out for four days. And you have to pee really bad. So after that, Life was weird. I got out. Uh, I was had the scarlet A on my head. I went to a, uh, a regular school, you know, state school. I mean, public school, we call it. And when I was 18, I joined the Army. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. So, in that time, things happen. Um, in the time my mother's health deteriorated from the smoking and the, the pills, you know, um, she became thinner and thinner. She was a petite woman to begin with. She had insomnia. Um, I remember that was bad when I was a kid. And that's because my mom and dad, my mom met my dad in Kansas. My dad was a quartermaster in the army and he was in charge of being the quartermaster of a prisoner of war camp in Kansas, in Concordia, which held Rommel's Africa Corps. Not Rommel himself, because he was such a prize, he stayed in Europe. But Rommel's Africa Corps and the officers were there. And she was a nurse. And uh, so she met my dad there. And uh, during that time, she had to cut down a German soldier who had been hung by the officers and tried to resuscitate him and didn't work. She was the night nurse at the station. The nurse came screaming down the hallway. Somebody had been hung. And the guy had been strapped up with a belt and hung from a pipe. And uh, she cut him down. So she'd have nightmares about it. So when I was a kid, she'd be in her big, just like peach-colored, frilly neck, chain-smoking a cigarette with a collar on, sitting in the hall in their chair. And I'd be going, and she goes, I'm sorry, honey. And, you know, having that dream again about the man, that man. And she'd be chaining, and I'd go back to bed. I picked up the smoke and have it for my mom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard we'd not to, right? We'd have fights and stuff and argues. We'd actually have smoke breaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. And, uh, you know. Oh, maybe that helped. <laughs> Occasionally, you have two seconds. So yeah, well, so her health had really deteriorated from yeah, that point on. You know, and she was, you know, a bit dotty and paranoid, and and you know, my dad kind of kept a lot of it from me because I was 
didn't live in Kansas anymore. I yeah. moved around as California. They still gave me money and supported me when I needed it, you know, and they weren't doing great. Um, thick, not a fixed income. They had, my dad had two pensions and they had investments and they were very smart. But that generation that kind of floated by on that. We lived in a three bedroom house, which the rooms were not much bigger than the room we're in. The kitchen and living room was at. So it was a uh, post-war uh, prefab house. Um, the world got smaller. They started to hoard. They're of the generation. You know, they embarrassed my little middle-class sensibilities anyway. They grew up in the Depression. Mm. So we'd go to eat. My mom would take ketchup packets and stuff like that. I'd be like, oh, my God, mother. Oh, <laughs> Lord. You know, I'd be like, oh, just some stupid person I was. So anyway, I got a call from death saying she's not good. And uh, said she has cancer. So when is this? This is when so you're living in? This is 2000, 1995. I just moved back. So you're in San Francisco at this point? No, I'd moved to L.A. I moved to L.A. So you're in L.A. LA. You've done Who's Line. So your career is going very well going at this well. point. I'm starting yeah. to get stuff on TV in, yeah. in America. And they get, I get the call. And so, well, I get the call before. Because both Karen and I, I knew Mom wasn't doing well. Because when I was in San Francisco, she had dementia from this. of creeping, but it got worse. And Dad... It was worse than I thought it was because my dad kept it from me. Yeah, yeah. She came to see me. I was, I belong, I was in a theater company in, a, in San Francisco called ACT, which was a very big company, American Conservatory Theater, Tony Award-winning theater company. A lot of actors you see on American TV came from there. Anyway, uh, I was a big fish in a small pond there. I was in Forum. I did Funny Mother Weather Forum. It was a big production. Everybody loved it. And my mom and dad finally came to see me be on stage. Is that the first time they saw you? Um, my dad actually saw me in Macbeth in college, and wow. he fell asleep. Um, <laughs> he, did, he fell asleep. He goes, there's a lot of talk in there. You're pretty snappy at the end with the swords. I went, that's the best critic. Thank you. Critic's yeah, choice. Yeah, that's it. Ken McShane says, got snappy at the end there with the swords. That's a good review of Macbeth. Yeah, you know, come on. If you're yeah. a guy, you know, that tells you yeah. everything you need to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they really tried to come along. My mom, my mom said, let's go see theater. Mike must do theater early on. So they went to like a dinner theater to see uh, on Golden Palm. And there was oh, like the World Series with the Kansas City Royals. And my dad was like, what the fuck? And he said, no, we're going to go. So he had the radio. Like, <laughs> so during this, like, you know, I love you, Pa. Oh, damn. <laughs> he was literally doing that kind of thing. Like, Finally. You know? And my, my mom said, and my dad was like, oh, shit. Watching a bunch of old fucking people talk about fucking dying. Who wants to go see that shit? <laughs> you know, my mom was like, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, with the World Series is on, fair play. <laughs> so they so, came to see you in San Francisco. And, and so she, I said, mom, you're San Francisco. Let's go look at places. She's like, no, I don't feel like going out. And she just sat in the hotel room and smoked. Wow, yeah, yeah. I realized she was scared. She was enough to mention she was like, where am I? Yeah. Because I could see the look on her face when I went. So I we're turning around and go, are you sure? And she's like, you know, and I was like, I just was like, something's wrong. But you're so stupid. I didn't go. What's going on, Dad? But don't you think it's like you don't want to ask the question sometimes? I think sometimes as a child, you know, however old you are. I'm an adult then. But, yeah, but you're still a child in the, that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Um, however old you are. I think sometimes you know, but you don't say because you don't want the answer. I definitely had moments of that when I think, I'm not going to ask. I should ask. But if I walk away, I don't know. But I do know. Like, And I guess everybody, you Maybe all you know. Do, you do, yeah. But just saying it out loud sometimes is, is really frightening. Because, you know, and perhaps you didn't want perhaps you didn't want to frighten them, you know. And yeah, have them... my dad's a generation of a guy who didn't, you know, didn't broach things until yeah, they were. Yeah. You know, I think we need to have that talk. Yeah, you know? yeah. Everything else was never. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. So you get called that she's got cancer. Where did she have She fell. Come? She kept falling. Mm. And then when she fell and didn't get up. Oh, God. That's when Dad called me. So 
I went to see her. It was snowing. And uh, I went there, and she was kind of like out. She was kind of out. And this is back in Kansas? Kansas, right, yeah. So about three days, and body was riddled with cancer. I remember at one point going, do you want to go, Mama? Do you want to go? And she was like, oh, no. She said, no. I was like, all right. All right. So we stayed there three or four days. And this is a weird showbiz thing. So the show was had a popularity in America. It was mm. fine. Like on Comedy Central, shit like that. So I'm there with my dad. And somebody recognized me. Some kid recognized me and told his dad, a guy might maybe a little older than me, that I was a famous factory guy or something, or comedic guy. And this guy's at the hospital, too. So a guy walks over to me and goes, hey, I hear you, uh, you're on television. I'm, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I just left my mom's room. He goes, so what are you doing? You know, what is it? And I go, I really yes. don't want to talk about this. No right good now. time. And he goes, okay, I don't give a damn about your fucking show. And walked off, and I just... <laughs> like, I'm at the hospital. I so enraged. I walked over to him. I go, why are you here? He looks at me, you know, because I can get pretty. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are you here? And he's like, my wife's in there dying. And I'm like, my mom's in there dying. You got to understand, sir, that show business is the least important thing on my mind right now. Mm. And he started crying, and I started crying. I kind of took his hand and just said, okay, you know, some other time, man. And I walked back and. I thought I handled it okay. That's amazing. No, I think that's amazing because what you did is didn't... You explained to him, you educated him at that moment. What more can you do to another human but be like, I know things seem like this and you're angry that your wife is dying and you think I'm an asshole actor who doesn't care, but actually I'm a human and we're both humans I right now. I can't process my, Yeah. Sp- spewing out my fucking resume right now. Yeah, right? yeah. I think that's a really... And you didn't no. You didn't whack him across the face, take him to the window. And I, like, that's... <laughs> That's maturity. Well, that's, that's a step forward. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's, you know, that's the difference between adults and kids, that you were able to go, <sighs> I want to throw you out a window, but what I'm going to do is go, hey, you're being an asshole, and I know you don't mean to, this is why. I think that's the, that, that attitude is, yeah, golden. Like, that's what we all need right now, <laughs> rather than being like, you're wrong. Oh, you do, you do. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I'm always about... Because I know the opposite. I mean, yeah. I know the opposite of the anger and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. it can do it. It, it. And I still suffer from it. Mm. I mean, I still people suffer from me doing it, really. Because <laughs> um, I I'm, should be conscious at this point of it. I can get really, you know, about stuff. Oh, uh, same. I same. I When you have someone who has anger, you know its power. Yeah. You know how... It, you know that if you use it, you can get what you want quite easily sometimes. You know, like, it's, like, tempting, isn't it? Like a drug. It's like, well, if I kick off really badly, yeah. everyone will let me do what I want to do. And you, ha- it's like, you know, you have to kind of... That's the the maturity, isn't it? Of going, I'm not going to do what I used to do, which is just throw my toys out of the pram and shout. I'm going to have to reason and be fair. And But, yeah, it's hard and if negotiate. you... negotiate. Yeah. yeah. Because some people can't get angry. Like, they just don't know. It's not in their nature. But if you have it in your nature, it's like you, it's like having a massive sword. It's like you have to know when to use it and use it for good and all of that stuff. It's it's. But I think learning that is a process of, yeah, stabbing people lots with a big sword. Lots of valleys, <laughs> lots of peaks and valleys in your yeah, life. Yeah, lots of like times when you're holding the giant sword going, oh, did I? I did, oh. didn't I? I got the giant sword out. <laughs> Everyone's really upset with me. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> 
And you said with anger, often it is afterwards, isn't it? It's like you oh, it's do after, it yeah. and then you look at their faces and you're like, oh, oh I got anger. Oh, because yeah. it just happened so fast. And that's how I judge now is I have to watch people's faces quite closely to be like... I do too. Yeah, to be like, oh, I'm... Because sh- I don't know I'm shouting. So sometimes people, the face is telling me and I'm like, am I... Sh- Am I being... And ben, my husband, would be like, you're being really aggressive, right? And I'm like, oh, I thought I was being really just like chirpy. Emphatic and, and yeah, passionate. Be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the ang- no. yeah the-, the person's like... Yeah, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> no, I'm just really saying that's what I think. I don't know why everyone is scared. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to know your own volume, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. It is, I, think, and the sh- I think the shell, the candy mm. shell that we each come in, Yeah. I think that's what got me in trouble because I was big. If you look at the old, my Facebook account, there's a picture of me. You ever seen with the hair? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's, imagine me looking like that. Yeah, yeah. A huge, long, big, you know, I think I frightened people. Yeah, right? yeah. Because it was hippie. You know, hippie meant yeah. Charles Manson, meant LSD. Yeah, you know, yeah. meant, immediately that image made people go, oh, my God, in yeah. Kansas. So. You know, yeah. there's a little of that. So when mom was in the hospital, we went home. So she came home with you? No, no, no. No, this is you they and said, your dad. We were exhausted. My yeah. dad was exhausted, you know. And we said, let's go home for the, you know, we were there till like 10 p.m. And then she died in the night. Got the call around 3.30. Wow. She'd gone. So I drove him back over and uh, she was gone. And that's the first time I ever saw my dad weep, mm. weep, you know. And he pulled out the Shakespeare. You know, he loved this. I love you, I love you. And flights of angels sing you to your rest. And I was like, you know, because my dad didn't read Shakespeare. Yeah. Was that kind of guy. He's a postman, you know, an educated man, but yeah. a postman and not given to, you know, generalized Irish, like, hey, ooh, I have a quote for everything coming yeah. out. Yeah. You know? And just he wept, wept and shuddered. And, and I held him and, or I held alongside him. He had a moment with her and then I went in. And talked to her, and um, her teeth had been, you know, she had false teeth. I had put her teeth in her mouth, and I couldn't get them in exactly. So every time it fit, it'd be like <laughs> slightly oh, like bugs, bugs. <laughs> And I started laughing. I just started fucking laughing. And it was going between feeling really, really awful and feeling really happy oh. that she's free. Yeah. You know? But I wasn't mocking. No, no, of her. course not. It's just one of those it's, moments. Mortality is mm. so fucking stupid mm. and disrespectful to what we think we are. Yeah. That you've got to laugh at it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And my mother's catchphrase always in my life was, honey, you might as well laugh. You know? And so we went to Barry. Now she was raised Methodist in this big family with all these sisters. And the only two sisters who moved to the city were my mother, Ruby, and Aunt Marjorie. My Aunt Marjorie was a huge, tall woman who took some gene pool from the Amazonian ball busters of some family in Kansas. She was awful. She was my babysitter when I was a kid. Wow. She was a no-nonsense woman. You know Mary Wicks, the character actress? You ever watch... Sister acts. What none that oh, talks like yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Mary Wick. She's right, like yeah. she's a big, tall, wide hip, no nonsense. Yes, broad. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't mess with. Don't mess with. And she was just the biggest pain in the ass <laughs> in my life. Um, my dad was a mailman. Come home. He come home from work. We eat at three thirty every day. Every day, she would call at three twenty. <laughs> every day, 
And I go, I, hello, Amber. She goes, oh, you know, it's me. Yeah. yeah. Is Ruby there? Uh, yeah, yeah. It might bother you. No, I'm not. You're not. You know. <laughs> so I hit 15, 16, you know, your big truth teller. Yeah, like, yeah. Is he said, yeah, mom's here. Am I bothering? Yeah, why do you call? Every time my mom and dad like, Jesus, you know, my dad just like, my mom's like, oh, no, no, no. Don't tell her, don't like, tell her. My mom would smoke and eat. She'd be like, oh, yeah. with the cigarette, and I'd like walk over and go, boy, hi, you know. And don't ignore him, ignore him. Oh, I, I inherited a dog for a while named Scotty. He was a Manchester toy terrier. It was a great dog. Talked to him all the time. One of his attributes, he was hump crazy dog was hump crazy right yeah, and yeah. um we kept him outside but when my aunt march she would come over my dad hated her so much at one point he'd be going get the dog <laughs> and my aunt march had big big calves you which were like valhalla for this dog <laughs> scotty was like oh <laughs> like, thank you mike thank you Wham! We'd go right on him. And she, land sake, God told you to get that dog a damn filthy animal. And we're like, you know, my dad would go, Mike, Mike, I told you. My boy, get that dog out of here. He'd look at me and go, good, good job. Good job. <laughs> the kind of thing as a guy does, you know. That's and so then, funny. Uh, so I, I mentioned her because. So she was still alive when Ruby died? When Ruby died. Right, At yeah. this point, she had her fourth divorce. So did you have to call Aunt Marjorie and tell her about what and happened? We called her and we called the rest of the family. And so we had a Catholic funeral uh, open casket it snowed really really bad really terrible snow so some of the people from the northern counties couldn't make it down my uncle dale my aunt gwendolyn um some of the kids made it down because they were from further like topeka my aunt marjorie who really was only about 12 miles away took forever now at this time she's also in a wheelchair yeah withered left eye and a cane <laughs> god's truth Call her One-Eyed Margie. That's what my dad used to call her, One-Eyed Margie then. So we're at the open casket funeral. It's, you can hear the, this, my dad's church, St. Agnes, my church I grew up in. We're taking final. Okay, well, you know, not everybody's going to make it. We wheeled it out. We're going to put it in the hearse. This is God's truth, Carrie The doors on the church go boom with the snow coming in, and Margie's being wheeled in by Dale. And she's got her stick and her fucking one eye, and he wheels up, and like fucking Richard III takes her stick and goes whack and stops the progress of my mother's coffin. Oh, my God. And we're just like. What? Totally what? Totally just like. Uh, and then, you know, like gestures like uh, brusquely to like, you know, lift up the lid. Not even talking. Like, eh. Hikes herself up halfway out of the chair and looks at her. Flops back in the chair. Close the lid. Wheels and splits. What? So she just... <laughs> My, Karen was there. Karen was there. Because I, I used to have to go, did I imagine that? Did I just imagine that? And Karen was like, no. wheeled herself in, stopped the coffin, looks it, checks. Yep, she's in there. She's dead. And then just left. Fucks off. <laughs> It's like something from a film. It was. I swear like... to God. Please, you know, August Osage County, fuck, please. <laughs> please. I've lived it, baby. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did you did you see her again? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my like dad, it. my dad. Not the good thing. I thought, you know, because my dad was a caretaker to her. He, yeah, they, yeah. You know, my dad's a lot of faith, very Catholic faith. Yeah. And, uh. He had a second adolescence. Wow. Not a childhood. After she died? But, yeah. He would just, you know, because my dad was a really good looking guy. Oh, wow. My dad, you know, 
um, when I was a kid, you know, he looked like Mel Gibson. Did he so kind of start? He started um, hanging out and no, he just started. Um, after that, well, he did. He was if he's flirty, he's naturally he's Irish, you know. <laughs> Usually, he's Irish American. Um, we'd go to the mall during the winter so we could walk, and he had a baseball cap. He, he tilted. He had this little tilt, <laughs> and uh, he'd see some young seventy-five-year-olds. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he'd go, "One second, son." <laughs> he literally get in front of the mirror and pimp it up, like tilt it, and do like the stroll. It's like a Midwestern pimp stroll, I guess. But what? Oh, morning, ladies. And you know, he was charming. My dad was a charming yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, damn. You know, yeah. rock on, Dad. Whoa, yeah. You know, he, gave, he gave me all my shots, and then they both gave me my shots and gave it to me. So, yeah, and he lived to be 96 and uh, was compass menace till the end. Wow. Um, being adopted, it's really weird. I don't know, you know, nobody has a, a primacy on how much you love your parents. Mm. But I don't often wonder if when you're adopted, you love them with a weird sort of intensity. My dad lived for so long, I thought he would live forever. Mm. So then when he died, and he, you know, obviously it tragically happened to you. My dad was taken from me late at life, and I and I still feel this day, both of them, that I lost some magic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, I, and it, it's funny, I take that to Phil with the play I'm doing, Huey, telling you that when somebody really matters to you and they're gone, you feel something's gone. I, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to get this thing back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this presence in your eyes or mind, in your eyes, your mind, or your heart. And I still think about them, and I, I really mourn my mother. Because the disease ate her up, and she was a sparkly woman. Later on in life, my dad, the advantage of my dad living longer was occasionally we went to a museum in Cloud County in Concordia. Mm -hmm. That's the county that Concordia's in, God <laughs> Street, Cloud County. And it's a big, long, it's a, a big farmer's hall, so it's got tractors and shit. And we're walking around, because every once we'd go and look at the uh, what's left of the prisoner war camp, because the stories my dad would tell me. And uh, so went to the museum, and, and I'm looking around. All of a sudden, I look down the hall, and my dad's standing really weird. His arms are, like, faced out. His body's... And I was like, is he okay? And I walked towards him. He's looking at this biplane, small biplane, crop duster, which is hanging from the wires on there. The engine's out. Yeah, yeah. I go, what? He goes, your mom used to ride in this with this guy, Larry. She used to sit in the back as he would do crop dusting. And I go, yeah, that makes sense. She was adventuresome. Yeah, the other story yeah. told me later in life. She would go out at night and by herself, and she'd come back, like, all sweaty and shit. And my dad started, didn't question it, but he was like, oh. he got jealous. He was like, what's going on? He didn't trust her. He's shamed. He says, yeah, I say it's a shame. He goes, so I followed her one night, and she went to the stables, and she took out a horse bareback in the moonlight and would ride the horse bareback. Wow. In the moon. That's an amazing image of somebody. It's funny. When I was uh, in California, I got out of the army. I lived in a commune. And uh, it was crazy. Um, and it was near a big field, a big cornfield. And one night, it was a full moon. And there was this dog there. It wasn't my dog. I didn't even see it before. But it was kind of a dangerous-looking dog. It wasn't acting just like a pit bull. It was thick. It was just all like, you know, And I just, uh, I was pent up with something. I started running up and down the rows of the cornfield. And this dog ran with me all night. I ran for like an hour. And this dog just ran with me through the field, like romping and looking at me. And I kind of later thought about my mom, thinking that's in that broad light where you're just one human being. And you're ripping through the world, you know. How good it feels. Mm. And so what hurts me is in my mind is, you know, all oh, this this vital woman. I like I got 
this great care from her, but the spark on her, you know, got ripped away. And sometimes I feel, uh, because of that, I feel women get short shrift. And I admire that. You know, even when I was sick, I had pneumonia when I was a kid. And, uh, they had to put me in a bathtub of ice. Um, and I remember being, like, passed out in my bedroom and hearing all my mom's sisters talking and the sound of women laughing and, and chatting to sisters. I have pictures, you know, they, my mom and Aunt Marjorie didn't get along with them, but they, they were sisters. There's yeah, shots of them yeah. sitting around laughing it up. Yeah, I always favor that in my memory. Yeah. But it sounds, me. no, it's fine. It just sounds like, I think what you're talking about, what's sometimes hard to get your head around is like, it's, it's such a different world, isn't it? Like, you know, when you talk about like born in 1910, 1912, like, you know, diphtheria epidemics and the birth of, you know, pharmacology and all of like, it is such a different, yeah. it's a different planet. It's a different it's planet. It's a very different planet. And so for what they grew up in, and like you said, then... What she sounds... It's difficult, isn't it? Because she sounds like she was a real country girl. She like, was a country girl. Yeah. And then this other sort of new world came in and, and as ever, probably saved her life several times as medicine does, but also caused other problems. And yeah. this way that the world moves very fast sometimes. And She did. See, both my parents grew up in that greatest generation thing. The move, move, world moved very quick from the rural yeah. to the city. Yeah. Hence, in that time, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of the comedies were the Beverly Hillbillies, yeah. Green Acres. Yeah. It was about, and those came off of an original play called The Egg and I, um, about a, a, a city dweller that goes to the country to get back to his roots. Yeah, and yeah. he meets this couple called Ma and Pa Kettle. And we're in movies with these two characters. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Famous. So that really was a marking of these advancement of that. It's and shifting, it yeah. Middle class. So only two people from my mom's family did that. Air Bell stayed in Belleville and Scandia. So my mom was. Yeah. And my Aunt Marjorie uh, were quite adventuresome women. Yeah, to do that at time. that time. You know, so I'm much props to them. I, yeah. That's why I look at it. Even Aunt Marjorie... <laughs> my dad would go to visit her, and by the time she was really old, she lived in kind of a luxury apartment in Kansas City. And my dad would make me sit facing her and making small talk while my dad would sit on her blind side. <laughs> and literally, I swear to God, Carrie, she'd be talking and be looking at her going... <laughs> Doing faces on her blind face. <laughs> I guess if you've known someone that long and they've been driving you crazy that long, you're like, I'm gonna fucking do it. I'm gonna enjoy this eye situation oh, because totally. for you know I am 90 and I've been put up with this shit for a long time. That was my dad, but that's my daddy. My dad was always like, you know, he was a kind of crazy guy that way. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but it's interesting because, like you say, but he respected the family enough to go and visit her still. Yeah, and you. I just think it's interesting because she sounds like you said she was actually very adventurous and sparky, but also that's interesting that you know you did you then left Kansas and went lived in the commune like that. That was actually very adventurous for the time. You could have stayed in Kansas, stayed in the army, you know, followed the line that yeah. they wanted you to. And I think it's funny sometimes, like even though you said you're adopted, there is that that similarity there of she oh, must I believe, have. I believe high percentage of nurture. Yeah, she must have put that in of like you go and yeah. you find it. Even if yeah. she was worried for you and all of that stuff. Yeah. How do you feel about, like, so 97, what, like, where are you up to now with your coming up to? Well, my dad's 98, so, yeah, you've, you've hit, like, past 20 years. Mm -hmm. Do you, how's that anniversary for you? Do you still remember it or have you kind of, do you feel like it's past or? I think I've mourned her. I'm still sad about the missed opportunities in her life. I still have residual, not heavy, uh, you know, the sort of 
regret that I, I couldn't have seen her clearer mm. and been appreciative, truly, not not obsequiously and, oh, you know, appreciative of them, but just take them. Because I got to do that with my dad. Yeah, yeah. I the time that. allowed me to have that with yeah. them, what I didn't have. I mean, she got to see me be on TV. Yeah. She got to see me be in Robin Hood. That's very cool. You know, she must have thought that was cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I came when I came. I got off the plane. I get, took a, a cab into and, and to the house, and I got in the house, and they were both sitting at a table with a box of cereal, Prince of Thieves cereal with bowls of cereal. They're clowning. They're like, oh, like that. You know, that's so and, sweet. Yeah, and so that was sweet. And he goes, "I bought five. I go, Dad, you don't need to buy five boxes of this shit. <laughs> and she, he'll last. I go, "It'll last until Armageddon, Dad." <laughs> It's, he goes, it's pretty crappy stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's okay. Oh, that's so sweet. So, yeah, they got to see me succeed. Yeah, yeah. And they were responsible for my success. They floated me when I was broke. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny in a way because I think, I don't know, like until you lose a parent, it's really hard to know. And maybe this isn't fair. I don't know. But I do think losing a parent really, like you said, allows you to see them clearly. And I think it's actually quite hard to well, see them clearly. filled in by the surviving parents. Yeah, sometimes. exactly. Did and you know they did this or did yeah. they want to do that with your dad? Yeah, filled yeah. In, oh, in my the, God. Yeah, the stories have. of, like, yeah, the shenanigans that they got up to, uh, <laughs> which, yeah, you know, you start painting this picture and you start going, oh, they were really people before I arrived. Before I met them. And yeah. you just, you don't know that when you're a kid. You don't appreciate it. And I think sometimes things have to go before you don't know what you've got till it's gone, as Joni said. That's it. And yeah. uh, I think also what sounds really lovely is that enabled you and your dad to have a really great relationship because you were able to go, yeah. I know what I need. I can see it and I can say it. And, and it sounds like you guys had a really, like, really strong, beautiful relationship after We that. eventually, we really, not eventually, we actually really did. Yeah, which is lucky, you know, like you not know, everybody to gets that. to Ireland and oh, walk around Dublin. Wow. He was 90, you know. Wow. Um, but that must have been amazing to take him to Dublin. And, and like you said, it sounds like you had all these experiences that yeah. that your mum's death, obviously you wouldn't, didn't want it to happen, but it, it, the consequence of that was this great relationship with your dad. I didn't know about the accident with the killing. The, the my, 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 my would have been my aunt dying. I thought that was just later. I thought, oh, she got ill. But that my uncle Doc, who I remember, my uncle Doc... Who was the tail? He had a really nice house in Manhattan, Kansas. We always went there for Christmas. Wood paneled, you know, and he was the kind of guy who's like, Father, Son, the Holy Ghost who eats the fastest gets the most. Dig in. He was that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And he was because I had one cousin of the same age. Then I found out he was writing prescriptions for like speed for the war effort for the guys who could work in the munitions wow. longer. And they got addicted and they broke into his office. And my aunt Rosalind, who was a devout Methodist, had to go to the houses like and get money for the drugs that she, they were addicted to. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't know. Any, like, so this one, like two nights in Ireland with my dad at the Hotel Gresham, we were snowed in. You couldn't leave, so we had two stuck days. We just had out this, and simultaneously, there was an outbreak of hoof and mouth disease in the UK. So we were stuck in a snowed-in hotel room, and the only thing on the TV were huge pyres of burning livestock. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And I thought, remember? And I thought, yeah. God, this is 
it's like hell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is it. This is actual hell, yeah. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me about Ruby. She sounds like a real character. She did have a middle name. That always chews me off. Everybody else got Hester and Thyra. (laughs) One of the sisters named Thyra. Why did they just, they just gave up with, they were like, but Ruby's such a good name. Maybe um, they were like, it's enough. It's a great time when when women were named after jewels. Yeah, yeah. And what was your dad's name? My dad was Kenneth John McShane. Kenneth, you're so. Or Kenny or Mac. His name was Mac. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me about Ruby and Thank you for letting me talk about my, my mom and dad. You can follow Mike on Twitter at this Mike McShane, M-I-K-E. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland, with thanks to Whistledown Studios, and the music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.